Escape Pod, 285. March 24, 2011. Jaden's Weaver by Mary Robinette Cowell. Hello and welcome to Escape Pod, your weekly science fiction podcast. I'm Norm Sherman. You ever want something so bad it hurts? I'm not talking about your average ownership and consumption-obsessed Western world materialism here. I'm talking about yearning for something or someone so deeply that you can literally feel your heart aching. Then you know how bad I wanted a pet tarantula when I was 11 years old. And you can also relate to the main character in this week's story, Jaden's Weaver by Mary Robinette Kowal. Mary's works appeared in Strange Horizons, Asimov's, Clark's World, and Escape Pod. She was the 2008 recipient of the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer, and her latest book, Shades of Milk and Honey, came out last year from Tor Books. Our narrator is Keyes Johnson. So bundle up, little ones. The dark days are coming. And so is story time. Jaden's Weaver by Mary Robinette Kowal I was never one of those girls who fell in love with horses. For one thing, on our part of New Oregon, they were largely impractical animals. Most of the countryside consisted of forests attached to sheer hills, and you wanted to ride something with a little more clinging ability. So, from the time I was, well, from the time I can remember, I wanted a teddy bear spider more than I wanted to breathe. The problem is that teddy bear spiders were not cheap, especially not for a pioneer family trying to make a go of it. Mom and Dad had moved us out to Landington in the first wave of expansion to take advantage of the Homesteading Act. Our new place was way out on the eastern side of the Olson Mountains, where Dad had found this natural level patch about halfway up a forested ridge, so we got sunshine all year round, except for the weeks in spring and autumn, when the shadow of our planet's rings passed over us. Our simple extruded concrete house had nothing going for it except a view of the valley, which faced due south to where the rings were like a giant arch in the sky. Even as a 12-year-old, angry at being taken away from our live walls in town to this dead structure, I fell in love with the wild beauty of the trees clinging to the sheer faces of the valley walls. The only thing that would have made it better was a teddy bear spider so I could go exploring on my own. I felt trapped by the walls of the house in the valley. I had this dream that if I had a spider that I'd be able to sell its weavings for enough to install live walls in my room. That's not as crazy as it sounds. Teddy bear spider weavings are collected all over the colonies and sell for insane amounts of money. I had a search set up, so anytime there was news of a teddy bear spider or a new tube serviced, I'd be right there, watching those adorable long-legged beasts. I loved their plump furry faces and wanted to run my fingers through their silky russet fur. I wonder what goes through a survey team's mind when they name things. I mean, a teddy bear spider isn't a bear, and it isn't a spider, but it looks like both those things. On the other hand, a farty cat looks nothing like a cat. They do stink, though. Not quite a year after we'd moved, one of my city friends had forwarded an ad from a local board which set my heart to racing. Teddy bear spider eggs, 75 NOD shipped direct. See... 
I'd been looking at adult or adolescent teddies, which cost more than my folks had set aside for me to go to university. It hadn't even occurred to me that I could raise one up myself. My mindless yearning changed into purpose. I slapped that ad onto a piece of e-paper and ran into the kitchen. Dad! Mom! Look at this! Dad glanced up from the eggs he was cracking into a bowl and pursed his lips the way he always did right before saying no. Jaden, that's a lot of money. I waved the ad again as if it were a token to get me on a ride at the fair. We'd make back the money when the teddy bear started to weave. Please, I've seen their weavings in stores for hundreds of NOD. Mom ganged up on me. That's how much the store sells a weaving for. It's not how much they pay for them. Even if it were, you're not just talking the cost of the eggs. It's the cost of feeding it, housing it, vet bills. I knew better than to keep arguing. Sometimes, if I waited and tried again later, I could get them to change their minds. Still holding the ad, I went outside and plopped on the log bench Dad had made for the front of the house. The broad silver band of the ring spanned the sky, blocked by only a few clouds. In school, I'd read about Earth and how it didn't have a ring at all, but it's hard to imagine life without that constant band of silver in the sky. As the day shortened, the sun was starting to skirt the edge of the ring, and I could see the band of its shadow laying across the land to the south of us. It wouldn't be long until we hit the dark days, which signaled the end of autumn. I know some people like the diffuse light when the sun is behind the ring, but I can't stand the way the land feels perpetually overcast, particularly when you can see blue sky, which means that to the south or north of you, it's a pretty day. It's funny how solid the rings look from the ground the rest of the year. You have to wait until the dark days to see the sun filtered through the ring to remember that the ring is made up of rocks and dust. When I was little, my grandma used to tell me that the ring was a teddy bear spider's weaving hung up in the sky to dry, which, if I'd thought about it, I'd have known was foolishness, since a teddy's weaving was golden and not silver. The only good thing about the dark days to my eye was that it meant we'd exchange presents on bottom day when the sun passed under the ring and we returned to full light again. It occurred to me that maybe, if I kept hinting, my folks might give me a teddy egg for bottom day. It seemed like that would be fitting and all. The dark days fell on us about a week later, and it hit me harder than it had ever done in the city. The artificial streetlights and the hustle-bustle of the city kept you from feeling the gloom so much. Not that it got full dark, even out where we were, but it was gray and dreary. The cold front that followed the shadow of the rings across the surface of the planet brought rain with it, which left me trapped in the house with my family. Really, the rains only lasted a few days, but when they passed, we were into the cold spell. It wasn't as cold as full winter would be, but Mom made me bundle up anyway. My jacket was smart enough to regulate the temperature, but she also wanted me to wear the hat and scarf she'd knitted. They were clunky things of red wool that always needed adjusting. As soon as I was out of sight, I took them off and hung them on a tree branch, making a note to pass back the same way when I came home. Mom was so proud of having made something herself that I'd hate to lose them. I needed thin saplings so I could weave them into the sort of basketry nesting house that Teddy's liked. 
I downloaded the DIY instructions onto my handy, and the multi-tool which Dad had given me last bottom day had a small handsaw on it. If Mom and Dad gave me an egg for bottom day, I needed to make sure it had a home. Besides, showing them that I could build the nesting house would prove I could take care of a teddy. I staggered into the house close to dinner time, leaves sticking in my hair and coating my rump where I'd slid down the hill hauling saplings. Mom picked a leaf out of my hair. Where's your hat and scarf? I winced. It was hot, so I hung them on a branch while I was cutting saplings for a nesting house. She rubbed her forehead like I'd pained her somehow. If you can't keep track of your things, I don't know how you think you can take care of a pet. The air and everything tightened in my throat, and my eyes burned, but I refused to cry. I'll go get them. I ran out of the door before she could say anything else. Mom hollered my name, but I didn't stop till I was at the tree where I'd left them. The scarf was there, but not my hat. I finally saw the bright red wool way up in a tree. A fuzzy worm had snagged it and was building a nest for the winter. With no way to get the hat, I took the scarf and trudged home. The pile of saplings looked like garbage. That sense of despair lasted, oh, I'd say overnight. The moment I'd finished schoolwork the next day, I was outside, putting the nesting house together. My folks said not a word about it the whole time I worked. By the time New Oregon's orbit brought our axial tilt around far enough for the sun to peek under the ring, I was well-nigh unto frantic. See, Mom and Dad went into town right before the end of the dark days. If they were going to get an egg for me, that was the time to do it. Bottom day morning dawned, and I do mean dawned, bright and clear. You don't know how much you miss the sun until you've gone weeks without seeing more than a filtered spot in the sky. I bounded out of bed and stood in the sunbeam that angled in my window. It heated me through until sheer excitement sent me running to the kitchen. No one else was up, but the disc with our bottom-day gifts was already laid out. The piece of paper that held the clue about where to find my gift was the same pale gold as a teddy bear spider's egg. I was supposed to wait until they got up, but that was totally impossible, so I peeked. A bower of sticks you have made. There you'll find the gift we gave. I squealed when I read it. Down the hall I heard one of them stirring, but I was halfway out the door by then. The morning dew soaked through my socks as I ran to the nesting house. The hut of twisted saplings leaned to one side, but it was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. Dew coated it, and each droplet shone like LEDs had been embedded in the wood. I ducked under the low doorway, and there, tucked in the corner, was my gift, wrapped in the same pale gold as my clue. It was about three times larger than I'd expected, and for a minute I thought they'd gotten me more than one egg, before realizing it was protective padding. As carefully as I could, I peeled off the paper. Inside was a teddy bear spider toy, a plush confection, complete with its own egg for playing at hatching. It was a glorious toy, and I hated it. If you ever have children, don't do this to them. I had been so sure they were going to give me an egg that I felt as if I'd had one and lost it. I couldn't even touch the thing. Mom came out about then. Jaden? 
I screamed something, probably that I hated her, and took off running. Branches caught me in the face and snarled in my hair. I went down the mountain because it was faster than going up, and all I wanted was to get away. If I had fallen, I wouldn't have cared. I think some part of me wanted to fall, wanted my parents to understand how much they had hurt me. Dad found me sitting on a little level spot. I don't remember stopping. He crouched beside me. Honey, I'm sorry. I thought you'd like the toy. Yeah, if I was six. I wouldn't look at him. I know how much you wanted a teddy, but we can't afford one. He sighed and inched closer. You don't think I'd disappoint my little girl if I had a choice, do you? Of course I did. And I didn't at the same time. I'd pretty much run myself out, so I just shrugged. We didn't say much else, but I let him fly me home with the jetpack. I don't know if this makes sense to you, how you can want something so much you make yourself sick. And when it looks like you're going to get it, then to have it yanked away? No, not yanked away, for it to have never existed. Do you understand that? The same way I tried to tear down the nesting house, I canceled all my searches for teddy bear spider news and tubes, but the yearning came back, if anything, stronger than before, and it occurred to me that I could earn the money and buy the teddy bear spider egg myself. So at night, after the folks had gone to bed, I pretended I was an adult, which is not as hard as you'd think, and did small mechanical Turk jobs for people. Nothing shocking, just sorting data for a few cents at a time. The whole time I kept thinking about how much money we could sell its weavings for and how I'd make all this money back just from those. I pictured riding my teddy down the cliffs and how we'd cling to the side like it was nothing. At the tail end of winter, the planet's tilt made the sun pass behind the rings on its journey to the top edge. For some reason, this transit never seems as bad as when it drops under. I suppose it's because you know spring is coming. Now, I'll tell you, I didn't have much hope when top day came. My parents seemed to opt for a neutral gift rather than risking another outburst. They gave me a whole NOD, which, considering my allowance was five pence, was an amazing display of largesse. I thanked them and immediately tucked it away with my other savings but we were well into summer before my account hit the magical 75 NOD. My hands started shaking, and sweat greased them so I could hardly hold anything. It took three tries to remember where I'd saved that old ad. Called it up and fired a message off to the breeder, suddenly sure the address was no good, or he'd stopped selling them, or the price had risen, or any number of things. Fellow didn't write to me until the next day. Another one of those neo-Luddites that limited their online time. His message was terse, as most of them are. Eggs available. Sex not guaranteed. Send delivery address with payment. And then his bank number for the deposit. I almost squeed myself, filling all that in and counting the days before the egg would get here. I was out tidying the nesting house when Dad bellowed my name. My whole name, too, so I knew I'd done something wrong. I ran to the house but stopped before I was all the way in the door. Sitting on the small wood coffee table was a white parcel. Even from the door, I could see my name on it. I'd never seen my dad angry before. Irritated, maybe. Disappointed, yes, but not angry. Not 
furious. His face was red and blotchy. There was a vein in the middle of his forehead I'd never seen before. It was a little purple snake of rage living under his skin. Jaden, what is this? I wasn't even all the way in the house, but I stopped moving. I opened my mouth, but no sound came out. Trying again, my voice squeaked into being. It's my teddy egg. Dad pointed at the box. Didn't your mother and I say you couldn't have a teddy bear spider? You said we couldn't afford to buy one. I bought it on my own. Dad's jaw tightened. Did you? And how exactly could you afford that? I've been saving all year. I worked odd jobs being a mechanical Turk. I did web design for Neo-Luddites. I worked in the field. As I said that, it was like strength came back into my body. I earned it. Dad worked his jaw for a moment, and that vein in his forehead died away. He hung his head, then picked the box up. Okay, let's tell your mother. How Dad explained it to Mom, I'll never know. It seemed as if, once the egg arrived, my folks joined me in the anticipation of its hatching. I'd sit in the nesting house, my schoolwork in my lap during the last weeks, and Mom would sit with me, knitting. I don't know if she was there to make sure I did my homework or because she found the bower of woven branches peaceful. Jaden? Her voice was almost reverent. When I looked up, she was staring at my egg. A sound I had taken for a branch scratching the side of our house came again. At the same time, the egg rocked slowly. I dumped my work without any care and scrambled across the dirt floor on my knees, scarcely daring to breathe. What's the longest you've ever wanted something for? It felt like every day I had ever wanted that teddy bear spider all piled in my body at once, ready to split my skin down all the seams. I couldn't breathe for the pressure of my wish finally coming true. Oh, how I wanted to help it out of the egg, but I knew it had to come out on its own. I wouldn't have a roll until it was free, and then, then I wasn't ready. I didn't have the fruit paste its mother would have given it, or the towel to help wipe the moisture from its limbs so it would imprint on me. I must have made some sound of despair because Mom said, What is it? I told her what I'd forgotten. Then, bless her, she said, You stay. I'll get them. I stayed. Oh, how I stayed. I don't remember Mom coming back, but I know she did because I had the towel and fruit paste when I needed it. But everything else, I remember as if I were still living it. Each tiny rock of the egg, the barely audible scritching from inside. The moment when the first triangular piece of egg broke away from the end, a strange, almost acrid smell came from the interior. I strained to see in that opening for the first glimpse of my teddy, but it was still too soon to touch the egg. The process of hatching took most of an hour. Then my teddy pushed its head out of the egg. Damp with the fur matted against its head, it seemed almost entirely helpless. It chirped like a cricket and tumbled free. Using the towel, I wiped its face the way its mother would lick it dry, and the teddy pushed against my hand. I don't know if you've ever seen a newly hatched teddy bear spider. When they first come out, they look like nothing so much as a drowned house cat. By the time they are dry, their downy baby fur has sprung out to give them the plumpness you associate with them. 
Their ears are outsized to their heads yet, and their eyes are closed for the first several hours after hatching. The combination makes them seem adorable and helpless. Well, Mom said, is it a boy or a girl? I pulled the towel away to look for ovipositors and noticed, I don't understand how I didn't notice until then, but I finally noticed my teddy was missing a leg. Jaden? I remember to look for the ovipositors. A girl. Then I counted again, touching each long leg. My teddy squirmed with pleasure as I fondled her toes. She cooed. Oh, my heart melted even as I was dying inside. All I could think about was that I had somehow caused the leg to be missing, that I had mishandled the egg or the nesting house hadn't been the right temperature. What are you going to call her? Mom knelt beside me to look into the bundle. Callisto, Kali for short. I thought that was terribly clever. Two goddesses from ancient religions referenced with a single name. Except my poor Teddy didn't have eight arms like Kali the Destroyer. She only had seven. What's the matter? Mom stroked my head. I pulled the towel back to show her the place on Kali's side where her eighth leg should have been. It was one of her hind limbs designed for weaving. Mom didn't say anything. She kissed me on the forehead and went inside. I leaned against the wall of the nesting house and rocked my baby teddy. They really do look like teddy bears, you know, especially when they are young and about the right size. The illusion vanishes when they open their mouths, of course, and the three lobes of flesh part right along the lines of the threads of a stuffed bear's mouth. But even that was a source of utter fascination to me. Her long, coiled tongue looked like a pink seashell, her party favor, and it quested out of her mouth for the fruit paste as if it were an extra arm. If only she had come with a spare. Mom and Dad came out later and crowded into the nesting house with us. I had spent the intervening time memorizing the features of my teddy. Kali was asleep in my arms, and her whole body pulsed with her breath. I was imagining it, of course, but it seemed as if she were already bigger than when she had come out of the egg. Teddies grow at a monstrous rate, nearly reaching their full size in their first year. I wouldn't try to ride her until she was two, of course, but she'd be nearly large enough for me by next top day. Dad cleared his throat. Jaden, we need to talk to you about the teddy. Without even looking at him, I knew something bad was coming, the way his voice was careful and neutral. I earned her. At the same time, the only thing I could figure was they were going to complain again about having the teddy at all. I earned money to buy her egg, and I'll earn money to pay for her keep. Dad tried again. Your mother said the teddy is deformed. I didn't say anything to that. Sure, she was missing a leg, but one look at her perfect face would tell you that deformed was the wrong word to use. Into my silence, Mom said, we spoke to the man who sold the egg to you. He said he'd replace the egg. Now, two thoughts went through my head at the same time. One was that they couldn't have spoken to him because he was a Neo-Luddite and didn't give out his number. The second and more pressing thing was that Mom had said, replace. She's mine. I clutched her tighter. I'd fallen in love, you see? It didn't matter one whit that she was missing a leg. She had seven more. And wasn't she the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen? If you look at a picture of her face, I defy you to find a teddy bear spider with a more perfect set of features.
Mom and Dad looked at each other like they were trying to double their strength. She needs to be put down. I don't remember which of them said that. It might as well have been both of them. No! Dad held out his hands. I'll take care of it, honey. She won't feel a thing. The man will send you another. No! Kali is mine, and I love her. Now, you might argue about what a 13-year-old could know about love, or whether it was possible to learn to love something in the span of time I'd held Kali, but what you can't argue about is how deeply I felt it. I'd loved Kali since before I saw her, since the first moment I held that egg in my hands. She represented all my hopes and efforts for the last year, and she might be flawed, but no other egg would be as thoroughly mine. Mom opened her mouth to try again, but I cut her off. I earned her, and I can choose what to do with her, can't I? But she'll never weave and won't be able to carry you up the cliffs. What good is she? Dad gestured at the leftover fruit paste. She's going to be a burden, an expensive pet. She's mine. I glared at them. To my amazement, Mom put her hand on Dad's arm. Ken, let her keep it. You've never met my parents, but all my experience with them told me that Dad was the softy and Mom was the rule maker. Later I asked her why she let me keep Kali. She said, You were looking at her like she was your firstborn. I knew you'd never forgive us if we took her away. And she would have been right. The funny thing was, Kali had no idea she was missing a leg. She scrambled up hills as if she were meant to be seven-legged. When she got old enough, I'd ride her and we'd ramble through the mountains for hours, exploring all the places I wanted to go but couldn't on my own. She loved nothing better than to climb to the top of the mountain and look out at everything around us. I'd lean between her legs and she'd rest her head on my shoulder, chirruping with contentment. She even helped around the farm. We spent one summer helping Dad string irrigation lines between the terraces of the farm. It would have been tricky work with the jetpack or just climbing by human power, but Collie could cling to the cliffs like they were level ground. And then, when she was three and the sun entered the ring heading toward winter, Collie started to weave, as they do. I guess the weaving is something that's genetically encoded in them because all teddies followed the same pattern, and I don't know how else they'd learn it. Collie's now... Collie's was different. The missing leg, you see? It's the first time I think she knew something was wrong with her because she had that pattern in her head, but she didn't have the equipment to make it go right. My beautiful girl tore out three weaves and snapped at me when I tried to help. I wished we spoke a common language, but there was no way I could explain to her that she was deformed. In fact, it was the first time I'd thought it since she hatched. My heart broke all over again, watching her try to weave and fail. On bottom day, I went outside before my parents were up to take Kali her present. She met me at the front door the way she did every morning, her whole body vibrating and dancing with delight. If I'd had my way, she would have slept inside with me, but even I had to admit a full-grown teddy bear spider was just too big for a house. She had this funny little hop she'd do when she was excited, where she'd bounce about a foot off the ground. I had wanted to get out to her nesting house with the gift before she woke, but that was clearly a vain hope. 
I gave her the honeyed fruit roll and let her wrap her long tongue around it. Chirruping, she took it and bounded toward her nesting house. Evidently, I didn't follow fast enough because Collie came back and nudged me from behind. Hey, I laughed. Cut it out. I haven't got any more. She pushed me again, and I started to get the sense she had something to show me. Now, you've probably already figured it out, but I'll tell you, I hadn't an inkling. Collie had figured out how to weave. The sun hadn't risen high enough to get into the nesting house, but the weaving seemed to make its own light. Normally, a teddy will just make one per season, but it was like Collie had gotten so excited to finally sort out how she had made two. Each of them had the thousands of dense strands of golden silk you think about when you think about a teddy's weaving, but instead of being in the traditional pattern, Kali had made a spiral galaxy of her own invention. The arms rotated out in a pinwheel with thinner gossamer sections in between. She'd incorporated bits of the landscape into the weavings, like they always do, but one of them took my breath away so fast I had to sit. Embroidered into the fabric was a weathered strand of red wool. She'd found that old hat Mom had made me out in the fuzzy worms tree and built it into her weaving. I started to cry until I realized Collie didn't understand how happy she'd made me. Jumping up, I rubbed her soft ears and told her over and over what a good girl she was, until she shimmered with happiness. We sold one of the weavings online at auction for a ridiculous sum on account of it being unique. The other one, the one with my hat woven in, that one's got my past and my future woven in it. I'd sooner stop breathing than sell either. that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. You know, when I first heard the words bear spider, I literally thought I might squee myself. Badass. Then, at the cute, cuddly, teddy-like features that began to be described, plump, downy, big-eared, and cooing, I quickly began to realize that this thing was probably far more terrifying to look at than I had originally imagined. Let's go now to our resident associate editor and neo-ludite, Bill Peters, for some episode feedback. Take it away, Bill. Hello, faithful listeners. I'm here to bring you the feedback for episode 277, Rejiggering the Thingamajig, by Eric James Stone and read by Keyes Johnson, a Nebula Award-winning author in her own right. The story was about, in the words of Void Menashe, a Buddhist T-Rex with an artificially intelligent gun arm in a nano-swarm who crosses a hostile world to save the universe's public transportation system. So yeah, he liked it. Apollonius said, 25 miles would have been better than 40, but I feel like the simplicity of the fix is part of what made it for me. It ties in with one of my favorite Thomas Jefferson quotes, The harder I work, the more luck I seem to have. And Beaukirk had a rough day. But yeah, the whole Buddhist helping to teach another immensely powerful being the tenets of Buddhism made me smile broadly. 
It's so novel, at least to me, to have a sort of Buddha in a box end up being the MacGuffin. Insanely powerful slash useful, but generally committed to being good people to the benefit of the universe. Big Green said, I really loved this story. I liked that the lizard was thrust into an adventure with a talking gun and a creeping nanostorm. It had all the makings of a much longer story than it actually is. He also said that the transportation network being manipulated by the AIs reminded me much of the Hyperion series. And that's it for this week. Tune in next week with feedback for episode 278, Written on the Wind. Thank you, Bill. Well, folks, that's our show. Remember, Escape Pod is produced with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. If you like what we do here, consider donating to us to help pay authors for their work and their honeyed fruit paste addictions. You can find support options off our website, escapepod.org. And while you're typing in .orgs, if you're a fan of fantasy or horror fiction, and you aren't yet subscribed to our sister podcasts, Podcastle and Pseudopod, respectively, check out their .orgs as well. Pseudopod just returned from a little hiatus and came back swinging with all eight legs. Glorious and terrible to behold. Our theme music is used with the permission of monster psychedelic surf rock band Daikaiju. Check them out at daikaiju.org. And our closing quotation this week comes from ancient Greek poet Sappho, who said, Love, bittersweet, irrepressible, loosens my limbs and I tremble. sitting at home alone reading Jeff Vandermeer and wondering if you could ever meet him? Is your framed copy of The City Not Long After waiting for an autograph from Pat Murphy? Did you always want to go to Wisconsin, but it's too far away because you live in the Bay Area? Are you a science fiction fan looking for a friendly, literary, fun, and fabulous science fiction convention? Well, look no further. FogCon is here for you. FogCon is a new science fiction convention premiering in San Francisco this year. March 11th through 13th, 2011. Honored guests include Pat Murphy and Jeff Vandermeer. And there's even a guest editor, Anne Vandermeer. Hey, do you think she knows Jeff? The convention will be haunted by a ghost of honor, Fritz Leiber. <laughs> There will be all the usual great convention stuff. Panels, readings, a dealer room, parties. And some new interesting stuff, too. Like a poster session, a do-your-own programming session, homemade beer, and possibly even a karaoke night. Remember, March 11 through 13 in San Francisco, fogcon.org. It's the weekend after Potlatch. Come for Potlatch, stay for Fogcon.